This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The anniversary of the date that marked the before times is coming up. It was March 20th, 2020, when Governor J.B. Pritzker announced a statewide stay-at-home order. And shortly after, Mayor Lightfoot moved instruction for Chicago Public Schools to Google Classroom. And since then, there have been a string of challenges. Parents working from home, some parents not working, stressing about finances, kids out of school, mom and dad's trying to teach, parents are feeling the strain. When CPS students switched to online learning last spring, it was a reality check for the district, which had to scramble to get more than 128,000 devices to students. But another issue reared its ugly head. Many students couldn't use them, exposing the disparities between those with the internet and those without. Mental health professionals are seeing a larger number of students presenting with depression and anxiety as the pandemic reaches its second year. For many, the pandemic has felt insurmountable at times. But there are people working very hard to creatively address the mental health challenges and social upheaval over the past few years. Joining us now to tell us more about these efforts is Dr. Judith Allen. She's the clinical director and chief operating officer of the group Communities in Schools of Chicago. Welcome to the show, Dr. Allen. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you for having us. What mental health issues have you noticed in students? Oh, well, in the last, I would say, um, you know, six to 10 months as students are returning back to the classroom, we're seeing an uptick in the number of students that are presenting with depression, anxiety, anger issues, all of these things that um, the shift in their environment has caused them to really kind of second guess who they are, where they are, and where they fit into the ecosystem at school. Since returning to the classroom, how are some students struggling with uh, socialization specifically? That's that's a big one, because I think that there is a certain um, structure right on campus. We all remember it, you know, in terms of who was who, who was connected to who. And I think that disconnect with the students being fully remote, they lost sort of their connectivity to each other. So their ability to socialize, it's almost as if they're starting from scratch. You know, they haven't seen their friends in such a long time that now they're having to reestablish those relationships. And that's causing a lot of anxiety within itself. And parents are struggling with that, too. Can you tell us what you're seeing there? Right. Absolutely. Parents, you know, they've been able to, if if they could, connect with teachers um, via phone call or Zoom or text. But now we have the opportunity for parents to come back to the school and reconnect with the campus. And, you know, as adults, we have our own anxieties about being back out in the world. So for parents, this is something that's just as, as difficult and just as big a challenge. So one of the things that we're encouraging parents to do is make some time to stop in the school if there's a PTA meeting, if there's an opportunity to connect with a parent-teacher conference, anything to reconnect to the teachers, but also with each other. I mean, there's no shame in all of us as parents admitting that we're, we're struggling a bit ourselves mm-hmm. and that perhaps we've identified some changes in our own child. I want to go back to something you mentioned early on. You talked about students struggling with anger. Mm-hmm. What are some safe outlets for anger? Safe outlets for anger, honestly, it is about, it goes back to relationships. Who does this child have a relationship with? It doesn't have to be the parent. It could be a teacher. It could be an entity like um, a partnership on the school, like communities and schools. But where can that child go to vent? Because part of it is their ability to just really talk through what they're going through. But what the, the skill set actually lies in the adults, our ability to see that a child is struggling, that it could be their behavior, their facial expressions, how they're dressing. So we have to be the ones to identify 
wow, this child was acting one way this week or um, two weeks ago, but now they're acting a different way this week. So we need to approach them and try to find some way to make them feel better. You know, and it, oftentimes, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience, doctor, kids mm-hmm. will let their anger out on parents or other oh. siblings in the home. Absolutely. And one of the things we have to remember is that, you know, there, there are no bad kids, right? There are bad reactions. There are situations that they don't know how to respond to. So I think our first reaction can't be punitive. It can't be an automatic disciplinary action. It has to be what's going on with you. You know, why did this small thing or this this sort of minor incident trigger such a response? Mm. So we have to spend more time going back to the root cause of why they're behaving that way and not just focusing on the behavior itself. Well, Dr. Allen, tell us more about uh, some of the programs that your group offers. Sure. Well, communities and schools, we are, we've been around for over 30 years here in the Chicago area. We are um, actually in partnership with 175 um, Chicago public schools, where of those 175, we have 30 staff, 30 schools where staff are embedded on that school campus and working in partnership with the school counselors. What we do is we partner with over 200 community partners to also bring in services to the school, everything from heart, from uh, um, health and wellness to arts and music, anything that the school feels they could really use to connect those students. So we're doing a lot of that work. We're doing a lot of one-to-one work with the students, a lot of group work with the kids. Um, but it's also in terms of engaging the parents. One of the things I think a lot of us learned during the pandemic was how to pivot, mm-hmm. right? How to take a look at the brand and how to restructure it in a way that encompasses the entire family because now we have to address all of those issues. So we're doing more family engagement work, do more things to try to get the families into the campus, working with their children, working with other parents and sort of being ambassadors and supporters for each other. Well, I mentioned um, the before times earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you set goals for for moving forward, are you trying to get back to this pre-pandemic understanding of normal or are you just setting a different standard at this point? Um, We have to set a different standard. Um, There is no going back to the way it was before because the the way it was before, we learned a lot that was broken, right? That was not working. Um, That, uh, you know, the the distinguishing feature between the haves and the have-nots when we were trying to get all these these students' laptops and Wi-Fi and everything else. So what it did was it showed us a lot of areas where we needed to improve in our work and enhance it. Now we know we have the ability to do that. So, of course, we're going to do it. So the normal might be better than what it was before the pandemic. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the second anniversary of the COVID shutdown and about how it's impacted students' mental health. With us to discuss is Dr. Judith Allen with the Communities and Schools Program. So, Doctor, your program, it offers a certification course that's called Mental Health First Aid. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually provided by we are facil- we are um, licensed facilitators through the National Office of Behavioral Health. Okay. And youth mental health first aid is I want you to think about it like you think of CPR. The same way that you'll go to the American Heart Association or the American Red Cross to get your certification in CPR, this is the same thing, but for mental and behavioral health. And, and what it is there, we have a, a grant through the O'Shaughnessy Foundation where we are able to provide these trainings to our staff, all of our staff are trained, but to also expand it to teachers and parents and coaches and religious leaders, anyone that has an interaction with students to basically sit in. We have it in person, which is a six hour course, six to seven hour course. And then we also have a blended online version for those that are not ready to kind mm-hmm. of be in a, a, a room again. Um, and what it is, is it, it helps us identify the differentiators between what is typical, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, typical right. um, 
adolescent behavior and what is an anomaly? What is something that is just not quite right, which may be a sign or symptom of a mental health issue? You know, we've been talking for such a long time about see something, say something. The problem we're finding is a lot of people don't know what they're seeing to be able to say something. Mm -hmm. So what this does is it provides the tools to be able to identify, oh, this is something that we need some interventions. We need to talk to the student about this. I love that it's not just available to the staff, but to the, the parents as well. Are, are you seeing an impact on the students? We are. We are, we're seeing actually an impact on the adults and their ability to approach students. So um, what we're seeing are students that are more ready to open up. One of the best, one of my favorite parts about the training is that we tell adults, it's not about you. You know, sometimes we have that savior as an adult syndrome where we think we're going to rush in and go save something. Mm -hmm. And we also tend to think that, you know what, I've been there. You know, we're all successful adolescents, right? We all managed to get through eighth grade, so we should be good. But we have to understand that the times are different. And that's what the training really teaches us, is that this is about that child and what they're going through, mm. not about our experience in 1978. Well, you're, you said you're seeing an impact on, on the adults going through this training. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. what are some examples that they've given you of, of behavior that they've learned to identify? Right. Through the training. What they've what they've identified with us is the ability to be patient. So, for example, if they identify an issue with a student, a student's acting out angrily or suffering from some type of anxiety, not wanting to go into classroom, interact, they'll approach the student. They'll identify and say, you know what, I'm noticing this. And they're calling out that, you know what, um, you know, Sasha, I care about you. I see what you're going through. I'm here if you want to talk about it. Initially, the child will say no. Now, prior to this training, the staff or the individual would basically push, right? And we really need to get through this. They would make it about that, that adult's own agenda. But what they're seeing is that the students are respectful of the fact that we're giving them their space. So they're seeing these students come back to them, you know, maybe an hour later, a couple days later and say, hey, I'm ready to talk. Right. Um, and just that connection, just that identification that I know you, I see you, I know your name and I'm recognizing that there's an issue. And then the students boomerang and come back and then want to process through whatever they're going through. Yeah. Well, Illinois students can now take up to five mental health days a year without a doctor's mm -hmm. note. How's that working out in, in practice? Um, you know what? I think what we're doing is we're putting the burden on. Um, well, I want, I want to make sure that we're not putting the burden on the student because most students can't identify that they need a mental health day. So it's gonna take the adults to surround these kids to be able to say, you know what, I've noticed that something is going on, let's recommend a mental health day. Mental health challenges though, they, they can sometimes get confused with behavioral problems, right? And that can lead right. to you know, higher rates of, of disciplinary action or kids, I think, you know, getting labeled as, as problem students. Right. Talk about right. why that's an issue. Right. That's an issue because we tend, like I mentioned earlier, we, we tend to address the behavior and the re we react to the behavior. We, we react to a student cursing or acting out or throwing things or, or bumping into a student and, and wanting to fight. That's what we react to as opposed to taking a beat, stepping back and wondering what is going on with that student and then also asking them. Instead of saying, you know, you, you can't do that, you're not allowed to do that, you shouldn't do that, we're going to punish you for doing that, mm -hmm. taking that student aside, letting them calm down and talk about how did this escalate to that point? And that's what we're seeing now, especially into this sort of uh, endemic that we're, we're moving into, is that the students don't know how to react. It's like their nerves are right at the surface. And so it, everything is reactionary. Every, a child bumps into you in the hallway, all of a sudden it's a, you've breached my space. 
you know, and they all of a sudden they're, they're, they want to come to blows. And yeah. so part of that is identifying that it's sometimes it's not always an anger issue or a discipline issue. It's a mental health. It's a behavioral issue. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, we also, I was going to say a, no, a note to parents too, Dr. Allen is believe your kids when they say, right. I need a mental health day. Right. Right. And also talk to them about what that means. So when a child comes up and says, I need a mental health day, talk to me about what does that mean? Not that we need them to necessarily justify it, but help them put words to the feelings. Because as they get older, that's what we want. We want healthy adults that are able to identify anxiety, depression, anger, all of those things. If we just sort of dismiss it as a general mental health day, then we're not learning anything. Before I let you go, you're you're also making sure to... um support staff who are on the front lines with these young people, right? Absolutely. Talk about your compassion fatigue groups. Right. So one of the things that we've offered up to staff in the last year or two is sort of these sort of open forums where anyone can come in and sit around the table or on Zoom, if it were Zoom, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of talk about how they're feeling. Because, you know, as we all are filling everyone's buckets, right, in the social service area, sometimes our own bucket becomes empty and we we have our own issues that we're addressing. So one of the things we want to make sure is that our staff are well calibrated, healthy, feeling good about the work that they're doing. Sometimes there's frustration because we're not making the progress that we really want to make with a student. So we have to talk through those things as well and also kind of provide some ownership that, you know, this is, again, it's not all about you. It's about the student and what they need to do, but it's also calibrating their own personal life issues, right? Because we don't want them to bleed over into each other. So those compassion fatigue groups are open to any one of our staff. We also have an employee assistance program through our benefits. So staff can, they have a certain allotment of of counseling that they can call in confidentially and get some help there. So all of that is there for them. That's Dr. Judith Allen, Clinical Director and Chief Operating Officer at Communities and Schools of Chicago. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sasha, for having us. We appreciate it. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.